Welcome to Vulnerable Resilience, an audio zine from project-based media company DIY Dancer and mental health nonprofit. Okay, let's unpack this. Host Courtney Henry. And I'm Leo Janiska, founder of OK Let's Unpack This and a dancer mental health advocate based in Brooklyn, New York. Courtney and I have teamed up with DIY Dancer to edit and co host this audio zine collectively and collaboratively, bringing into the spotlight a collection of conversations, essays, and self care moments all focused on dancer mental health. I'm super grateful for all the contributors and I'm humbled to be a part of this project with you, Courtney. Thanks, Leo. I'm so honored to be co-editing you and DIY Dancer. Wow, the magazine and I go way back, and it feels pretty dreamy to be curating issues for. We're so excited to share our final chapter four, where you'll listen to a messy talk whose format we collaborated on with dancer advocacy organization Whistle While You Work. You'll get to hear from prominent dance artists and teachers, Aaliyah Baker, Jay Bowie, Chanel De Silva, Michael John Harper, and Gabrielle Silvato. This deeply necessary conversation is artfully guided by our very own Courtney Henry. Finally, we'll end with a breath break from dancer and yoga teacher Marissa Martin and a short boundaries practice exercise from our creative director, Laura Wilson, and dance artist Taylor Unwin. Some segments will be preceded by content warnings just to ensure everyone can listen safely. Mental health resources will be listed at the end of each episode as well as in the show notes at DIYDancer.com. Welcome back to Vulnerable Resilience. Hello again. This is your co-host, Courtney Henry. So before we dive into this incredible conversation with these seriously inspiring artists, I just have to give a huge thank you to Francis Shiverini and Robin Doty from Whistle White Work. This format of a messy talk is a pillar of their organization as it allows for dancers to use their actual voices to destigmatize and promote conversations about abuse of power, discrimination, and gender-based violence. While they are usually the ones facilitating these talks, I so appreciate their humility in recognizing that the panel of artists that were chosen for this are all artists of color and graciously handed the score for me, a Black woman dancer artist, to facilitate. Francis and Robin are allies 
they're an amazing resource and honestly my biggest cheerleaders when doing my research for this talk. I so love their stance on dancers being their own best authority and that we hold the answers to how the art form should be organized in consideration of our own safety. And just a quick warning to our audience, this piece briefly mentions topics around consent, which include sexual misconduct, rape, and self-harm. If those are challenging topics for you, please consider skipping this section. So, welcome. As Aaliyah Baker, Jay Bowie, Chanel De Silva, Michael John Harper, Gabrielle Salvato, and myself unpack themes of boundaries, consent, and mental health. Thank you all so much for joining me today for this messy talk. Now, for our listeners, don't be fooled. There is nothing unkept or slacking about any of these gorgeous artists of color. Um, We're calling this a messy talk today because in a dance world that is so obsessed with perfectionism, I wanted to bring a group of brilliant minds together in a safe and nurturing environment to openly share, question, air grievances, and challenge the institutionalized dance system that we have all been through. This will probably sound like a lot of run-on thoughts and processing things in real time, but as long as it's coming from a respectful and heartfelt place, then I'm here for it. DIY Magazine is here for it. So whatever this turned out to be, may it be transformative. So let's get going with the introductions. My name is Courtney Henry. I am a native of South Florida. I was a principal dancer with Alonzo Ballet um, for yeah seven years. I'm currently basing in Dakar, Senegal um, with my husband and baby. This is where we're writing out the pandemic. <laughs> but I have been freelancing, dancing, performing, and writing. And now I am co-editor of DIY Magazine and super honored to have been asked and to have you guys here. Yeah, Aaliyah. Hi everyone, um, I'm Aaliyah Baker and I'm originally from the East Coast um, and trained at Pittsburgh Valley Theater and a couple different places up and down the East Coast and then spent most of my formative like adult years in the Bay Area. Um, did a brief stint with Oakland Ballet and then freelanced for about, I guess it was maybe like 15 years after that with contemporary and ballet companies. Currently, I am back on the East Coast in North Carolina at Duke University getting an MFA in dance, specifically looking at the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, and ballet, um, particularly from the lens of femininity. Um, Hey, I'm Gabrielle Salvato. I've danced professionally with the Dance Theater of Harlem Ballet West, and now I'm in Tanz Company Innsbruck in Austria. I'm a native New Yorker and really just trying to spend my spare time working on anti-racism and artist activism. And I'm really, really honored and excited to be here with you guys. Hey, um, first of all, y'all are so cool. <laughs> I just want to share that y'all are saying 
some of the coolest things I've heard people say in general, like where you dance, what you're interested in, what you're studying. Oh my gosh. Um, my name is Jay Bowie. I use they, them pronouns. And um, I'm calling in from um, some stolen Lenape Hoking land, also known as Brooklyn in Crown Heights neighborhood. I'm from LA, Los Angeles born in Phoenix, Arizona raised. And I've been dancing for like, for my people in a, in a, in a way that has been really displaced because oftentimes my, my community does not show up to the white theaters that my work is presented in and that I often perform in. But in terms of uh, my soul and my heart, I dance for the hood <laughs> that I come from and to share the stories with them. And I'm currently doing my best as an artist to realign with that intention and bring my art to the spaces that my people occupy. Hi, everyone. I'm MJ, Michael John Harper. I was born in Jamaica and then moved to Florida. And I started dancing by way of musical theater and started training at Michael's Academy for the Performing Arts. And then uh, my mother secretly signed me up for a conservatory, which was um, New World School of the Arts in downtown Miami. And I was uh, very lucky to have a um, uh, position as a apprentice in Ailey Two, and I stayed there pretty much just a year, and then was very lucky to be offered a position with Wayne McGregor Random Dance in London, now known as Company Wayne McGregor, and I stayed there for about five years, and then moved to Berlin, which I'm currently based. Worked for um, several opera houses here and in tandem started developing my own practice, which straddles several different worlds, fashion, art, and dance. And I found a home in Berlin. So um, I think this will be home for some time. Hi everyone. My name is Chanel Da Silva. I take she, her pronouns. I am a Brooklyn girl born and raised. I started training at a local dance school in Brooklyn and then went on to train at LaGuardia High School where I met Gabby Salvato, <laughs> small world. And then after that, I went on to study at the Juilliard School. And after the Juilliard School, I moved all the way to Boise, Idaho to join a dance company called Trey McIntyre Project. For my life, it was interesting because Boise's, uh, well, Idaho in general is very homogenous. So I didn't feel a very diverse culture in my regular life, but I did feel welcomed as an artist. So it was kind of this like catch me too. In 2014, Trey decided to disband the company and go in a different direction. So I decided to move back home to New York City where I started watering some other sparks in my life, including my life as an educator, I taught at LaGuardia High School for four years, and I also started a arts and social justice organization called Move NYC with my best friend, Nigel Campbell. Um, we just celebrated our fifth year of existence last year, um, so we're really, really thrilled to be doing the work that we're doing, prioritizing mentorship and training for low-income youth and primarily youth of color who are usually locked out. So that is our mission, and we're, we're, we're forging ahead. I also started watering my spark of choreography, um, choreographing at schools and companies all over the place. And it started to take off. I've made works for Gibney Dance Company, LaGuardia High School, most recently Parsons Dance Company, um, the Joffrey Academy, and now venturing into musical theater as well, having done two commissions at American Repertory Theater up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. 
dance is very much my center, my pillar, but I'm allowing other flowers to grow in my life. And I'm really excited about where that's taking me. Beautiful. Great. Thank you guys so much. I'm just going to dive in. I'll talk a little bit about the structure of today. Just to be clear, I am a facilitator, right? But my goal is really just to guide. I had a beautiful conversation with the founders of this, Francis and Robin. And yeah, Robin said something really beautiful. We have six people here with brains and hearts and life experiences. So in no way, shape or form is it like, yeah, I have to be leading the conversation. Wherever the conversation flows, we will let it flow there. And wherever you feel like you maybe want to lead it, then that is also fine. But yeah, just as like the bones of the thing. So I will present a theme. And then we each take two to three minutes where we can cut off our video, cut off the sound and just really reflect of just, yeah, what come, what bubbles up to the surface for you about that. Um, and then we go around and share um, and we each have two minutes. I will be keeping time. Um, you can use all of it. You can use none of it. And then we'll come back again and then react to what people have said. We want to encourage when you do react to say yes and instead of yes, but. Because one of the pillars of this messy talk from What's So Why You Work is Passion, anger, complaint, and personal experience have a place here, but devil's advocates do not. We want to stand in our truth. And as long as it's not disrespecting, yeah, have that just let the chips fall <laughs> where they may. That's kind of where we'll be. So I guess I'll jump in with the first theme and that will be boundaries. So I'm just going to give throughout some questions of what feels interesting about this topic. Also, again, you can ask your own questions as well. Where do boundaries appear for you? Where don't boundaries appear? Who gets to have boundaries and who not? How do boundaries or lack of boundaries get learned, taught, reinforced? What hurts about boundaries? How do you tend to yourself when your boundaries have been crossed? Where do you want to see more boundaries personally, professionally, and financially, time-wise? I think that's it. Again, there's a lot there. Whatever kind of sticks, let it stick. Yeah, my dad used to always say, eat the meat, throw the bone away. So, yeah. <laughs> well, so again, we'll take uh, our time two minutes. Again, feel free to cut off your video if you want. Uh, definitely the sound, and then we'll come back. that kind of just sparked in my mind when I was thinking about boundaries as it pertains to the boundaries I set for myself are I have vertical boundaries something like glass ceilings that I continue to perpetuate in my life that sometimes I don't even realize that I'm I'm putting on myself um, I wrote down this glass ceiling of professionalism you know I have this like preconceived notion of how far I could get and it's actually there's no limit you know, and then also boundaries mm -hmm. outward. I think about this way as more my emotional boundary compass. 
you know, like being a woman and realizing that there are predetermined boundaries about what spaces I can inhabit and the feeling that it feels to walk into those spaces and uh, know that I belong or um, again, self-imposed this way, like who I'm allowed to be as an artist. You know, I spent most of my life dancing. So I think I've sort of pigeonholed myself <laughs> into dance being my lane and really I can be whatever I want. I can choreograph, I can sing if I feel like it, I can model, I can paint, you know, however my creativity pours out of me, I'm allowed to do that because I'm an artist. So I'm just kind of like pushing that boundary from myself, allowing myself to um, grow and stretch. Because how am I going to ask other people to not put any boundaries and limits on me if I put them on myself? Oh, thank you so much for sharing that, Chanel. I feel that as well with like just trying to like manifest some dreams. Like I got to get rid of those boundaries, you know? I'm also thinking about collectively as dance artists and performers, because I would like to see more dancers and performers put boundaries um, around themselves and in the ways that they exist within institutions. That's like companies, residencies, performance spaces. And I would like to see and hear more dancers speaking up in the moment and naming where the injustices lie and when they show up. And that means both like using their voice to speak and their actions. Some actions I would love to see are dancers leaving rehearsal spaces and leaving performance spaces, leaving the stage, providing care for their colleagues and aftercare if someone does decide to stand up and name something, because that's also a big risk in doing so. And also bringing in the law when necessary. Like in America, we have the EEOC, which a lot of performers don't know really applies to us, which is, I think it's the um, equity and equality, like federal government that comes in and steps in when there are a lot of uh, mistreatments. And as I've been talking with them around some of my own personal cases, I've learned that the nonprofits are like their biggest um, file of where complaints come from, almost like 75 or 71 percent of injustices are happening within nonprofit organizations. So also being brave enough and having the support enough to bring in lawyers and bring in the law when necessary, um, really holding people within these institutions accountable to the injustices and the harm that actually happens because we suffer a lot in silence together as performers. And I think ultimately allowing the institutions to die by reallocating our resources um, of time, money, and our energy into communities that affirm our collective humanity and are in alignment with our values. Thank you for that. So I'm noticing that like the level of sort of like fire inside of me kind of <laughs> is rising as we talk through this subject of boundaries. And, and I reflect back on like initially when I read the questions before I was like, oh, boundaries and in my dance career. And I was kind of like having a hard time pinning something down. But what Chanel said and Jay Bowie are kind of like bringing up two different things for me. Like one, I'm thinking about mostly emotional and relational boundaries and the ways that I've experienced it within my dance career and how very early on, like in my very first like apprenticeship, I had a moment where I, I had to basically call out the director and it really shifted the way that my career went after that, like in the spaces that I wanted to move in because there was a boundary that was crossed. I was completely disrespected. And the way I was raised was that you know, you respectfully go back to that person and kind of speak up for yourself. But I know that it was a moment that I like refused to go back to the company the next year. There were things that really shifted in my career after that moment of like speaking up for myself. And I think everyone, to your point around like kind of the, the aftercare that happens when someone does that or when everyone around you, excuse me, 
that's my computer. I will pause that. Trying to find which screen is ringing. Okay. All right. <laughs> the phone call is over or not. <laughs> I think it is. Okay. Anyways, so technology, like everything can get you at the same time, right? That's the boundary to think about right now. Like you're constantly accessible. <laughs> but anyways, the point was that like, I don't think there was any aftercare in that moment of me standing up and really, I just had to make like that day a decision that I wasn't coming back to this institution anymore to perform. But another thing that came up for me with um, Chanel's comment was a quote from my friend that I'm going to maybe like mess up a little bit, but Prentice Hemphill has a quote that's been circulating around that's like boundaries are kind of the distance between that between us where I can like love myself and also love you. And I'm really thinking about that a lot in, in the transmission um, of art and in kind of collaborating with other folks, you know, like what is that space that needs to exist between us so that we can both kind of be in our own like sovereignty and be in our own place of power and still be able to kind of collaborate and share and exchange. So that's something that's been coming up for me a lot as a, as a teacher and a choreographer and student scholar. I'm nodding so much. I'm going to give myself a concussion. Every time you guys talk. <laughs> yeah. So like Aaliyah said, when, when we first got this sheet of questions and I thought about boundaries in terms of my career as a professional dancer, I was like, what does that even mean? And constructively, I've been really trying to use the pandemic as a way to set more personal boundaries for myself, like essentially using it as an excuse, like this is my space. It's a pandemic. Can you get away from me? Or like, you know, the touching, like, please don't touch me. It's a pandemic. <laughs> we have to be safe. You know, I feel like there is a positive aspect to that, but also it shouldn't be an excuse. You know, those are things that I should utilize every day in my life and feel confident in my own autonomy and saying those things regardless of the world. Also, as Jay Bowie said, thinking about using like the legality of things and how the union in my previous company kind of set the boundaries for me that I would have liked to see more dancers use and how we're using the union to set boundaries that we all collectively hope already exist. But there are so many companies that don't <laughs> that are not part of AGMA, that are not part of the unions, and how we really need to come together and create these boundaries for ourselves, because we don't really talk in dance, and starting at like, a, you know, as a child in the educational level, no one really asks us what we're okay with, and I feel like that transcends through our careers, that we need to be silent about the boundaries, and our director says, come here and sit with me, and we don't have context, you know, for anything, and we often feel unprotected, and that's really something that the, the dance world needs to encourage. And as artists at our level, we also need to inspire within the youth because I've really found as a teacher that students do not feel like they, they can say that or have that autonomy over themselves. And it's very disheartening. Something that I've been um, thinking a lot about is the fact that these institutions and the idea of classicism in general was designed with the same energy that was the same energy that colonized the world, basically. I remember the feeling of absolute uh, rejection that I had at one point dancing. And I remember being off of the side of the stage when we were on tour once and I was crying, I was crying, I was crying. And it wasn't because, you know, 
because you want to refuel all the fuels in general, but it wasn't because of that. I, my body was so exhausted and the tour was so insane. And I started crying because I knew I was going to go on stage and not be honest with myself because I didn't have it. And that broke my heart because I could not be on because I didn't even have it in me. And I remember seeing dancers literally dancing on broken ankles and being shot up with cortisone. I remember experiencing verbal abuse and seeing other dancers flee away because they were too scared to even be associated with the black sheep of the moment. And I remember all these things that my body has remembered in such a way that years after I still find myself sometimes crying because it finally something released itself. And I'll never forget, Court, you had a you said something in an interview once some time ago about allowing your body to become soft again. And that never ever left me because that process of allowing the pain to come through is a process that classicism actually doesn't really allow. And again, going back to the idea of that same energy being the energy that has imprinted itself on the world in such a way where we all are, we are all the illusion, I guess I should say, that you know we are servants and slaves. And I'm not just speaking about people of color or minorities, I'm everybody, you know, servants and slaves to this idea of classic. And I know classic, you know, changes from culture, from land, you know, everyone has their own definition, but Eurocentric idea, the ideal that everyone still to this day, and Jay Boogie, you know, when you, when you mentioned, you know, the death of the institution, I have like, I have a violent reaction to being in an opera house. I have a violent reaction to being in a theater. I have a violent reaction to many things that shouldn't, I shouldn't, we shouldn't, you know, it, it goes beyond race and it goes beyond class. It's some, it's some other shit. And it's the shit that right now in the world, as we are all being invited and beyond invited, we are being forced to sit. And, and as we are sitting, you know, all this stuff is coming up to the surface and you can still see that that, that energy and that system is such a strength and it's still at play. And yes, it's, you know, it's the cracks are being revealed, but it's so strong that people have a hard time just being able to sit and allowing themselves to become soft. And so I don't know what a boundary is anymore, actually. I'm still trying to figure that out. Thank you. Yeah. We need the time for that. And that's exactly what this is. There's no answer, right? We're just kind of putting things out there and reflecting and giving and taking off of each other. And it's, you guys are so brilliant in this way of that was round two, round three, all of it in there of how we piggybacked off of each other. So thank you for doing that seamlessly, really. And yeah, I mean, in boundaries and on the sort of same page as that and yeah there's so many things actually that people said that I I want to continue to rip off of I just want to also bring up this idea of consent and if we have control over our boundaries or if we still 
feel like they're being put on us by other people, that consent is sort of where that line of like how, where, where we give that up, give that power up. If you guys feel ready um, to just think about this as a theme and just like ask a few questions and then also see what comes up for you about that. So consent, what consent have you experienced in your career? And what consent do you want to experience? How do you ask for consent? And then how do you receive it? And then just lastly, how can you imagine consent practices looking in a classroom versus in a studio or in a rehearsal? And again, just taking a couple of minutes for yourself to mute and video if you need, and then we'll come back. just like to open up the floor whoever feels ready to share i'm a little burning on this one so if it's okay for me to jump in because when you said imagine i was like ah yes playground here we go so first came up some like things i heard in my head of like what i would like to hear in a studio especially with children um can i touch you i think i might be able to help you find that position can I manipulate your body to do so? Here's an example of how I would like to touch you to show you this position. Do you feel comfortable with my hands and my body in this position? And then also modeling and demonstrating and teaching consent practices in the studio, like especially in partnering classes, like that's the, the that environment is fertile for these conversations because as artists, we understand that when we're working with one another, we have to practice this with one another. So why not teach it in the classes when we're teaching partnering, let that all be a part of the curriculum and the atmosphere in general. And I was also thinking about how this includes conversations as well. I've been making work around trauma since I graduated college. So like it's been long in six years. Like that's been the, the main focus of returning back to the studio is an examination of trauma and mental health comes in, mental illnesses come in, um, abuses come in, grief comes in, like those are all in the room. And I'm learning that because I live with these triggers inside, I must also ask for consent if I can go in that direction energetically in the room for all involved. Like, can we go into the realm of talking about, then this is content warning on self-harm, but can we go into talking about self-harm today or even preparing people say okay we know in two weeks we're going to be talking and performing at this caliber trying to channel in and bring in these kinds of wounds you know let's talk about how we cultivate a space together do we have any safe words that people can use to opt out and I think asking permission for those subjects and then practicing consent in those ways I think invite us into a world of imagining conversations of what we could do to take care of folks um, as we usher ourselves in through and out of that practice or those works. Thank you for that, Jay. Um, that kind of is enlightening me in a way that I I know, but now I like feel like I know, no. <laughs> you know, someone says something and you're like, right, thank you. I, I think maybe because of my conditioning and the things I've gone through in my life, I automatically equate consent to sexual consent. 
Like that's just where my brain goes. And listening to you talk about, you know, asking permission, can we even talk about this thing in this space? I And thinking of viewing that as consent, everyone consenting to be in this space right now, um, acknowledging that everyone walks into the space with their own perspectives, their view or their knowledge of the world from their from their perspective, you know, and acknowledging that before you just jump in, I need to talk about this. It's like, ah, I, that, that's triggering for me. <laughs> and I would appreciate you asking next time before you assault me <laughs> with this this topic. So so thank you for saying that. It turned on a light bulb in another room for me. That that room was there, but the light wasn't on. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Oh, wow. You know, um, yesterday I had a very big day in my life. I actually shared with the world um, an article that I um, wrote for Dance Magazine and Dance Teacher Magazine about me coming forward, about being taken advantage of and being the victim of sexual misconduct as a young trainee at the hands of one of my dance instructors. And it took me 20 years to come forward about that. And a lot of it is because it was so tangled up with a lot of feelings. And one of those feelings was shame because I felt like, because I wasn't trigger warning for a word (laughs) um, that might be triggering, because I felt like I wasn't in quotes raped, that I in some ways consented to this occurrence or these occurrences. And I felt awful for that. I was like, looking, looking back at my 15 year old self, like lashing myself for consenting. But I realized after, you know, being in therapy, like, no, 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 you were a 15 year old. This person was 30. There are power dynamics that are at play there that make consent a very tricky thing. You know, so I was like, consent is a tricky thing. If I know that this is happening and it's not okay and I don't say anything, am I consenting? Which might also seem like being complicit you know, I'm thinking about maybe if I wasn't the victim and I see something from the outside and I and I don't say anything, am I consenting to that being okay? You know, which then would make me complicit. It's tricky. It's a tricky thing. Um, but after writing through it all, I, I think I'm kind of coming around to this place where one, you have to say something. <laughs> you have to use your, use your words, uh, whether to ask a question for permission or what's going on. Um, Use your words to stand up for yourself or others um, when consent seems tricky. Because I think in that gray area is where aggression lies. (sighs) Some things that came up for me definitely um, about that. But thank you, Chanel, for sharing. What has come up for me is this idea of implicit consent, right? And sort of trying to retrain or unlearn myself away from this idea that consent is like an ongoing situational and circumstantial thing and that it needs to be like, you need to re-consent to things you might've consented to yesterday, like on the next day and how that can, maybe if we think about it as something that needs to continually be reaffirmed, potentially for me, it's helping me shift how I am in my like romantic relationships, for sure, as well as in my professional and sort of like familial relationships, like this idea that just because we know each other and have, you know, history doesn't mean that tomorrow what happened yesterday is going to be okay for me. And so being able to be in dialogue with each other around that is something that 
I'm thinking a lot about and how, like how to kind of retrain that. Cause I don't think it is trained into us. Definitely not from like a student teacher relationship. It's kind of like, if you want to be in the space and you kind of consent to anything I might throw at you on any given moment. And I think that's kind of really scary and can be potentially really, 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 you know, harmful. And same thing, you know, in a, you know, partner or like romantic intimacy exchange, like just because something might have felt okay yesterday doesn't mean it's going to be okay tomorrow. So, and even to the point of like, when you're in a a process and dealing with kind of trauma or emotionally charged themes, I wonder if there's a way to allow, I mean, I I believe there, there is a way to allow, and I, maybe we haven't necessarily found the path to say that like people can consent to what level they can engage with this material on a given day. That doesn't mean that they don't want to be a part of the process and they don't want to be in the company or they don't, you know, they're not here, here to learn and be vulnerable and open, but maybe some days I feel really, you know, centered and able to fully go deep into it. And some days I need to be able to just like maybe go through the motions or do the steps or kind of be a little bit more distant from what we're learning. And I, and I don't often see that level of like consent being modeled in creative processes. It's just like, you're either here and you're going to go all the way in it and you're going to be completely spent and exhausted and drained at the end of the process, or you're not really committed. And I think that that kind of, when I think about consent and boundaries, like they're kind of going together and there needs to be hopefully some more investigation around how those things can kind of like work in tandem so that we can keep ourselves safe and that we're not like putting ourselves at risk of losing a job or, you know, being excluded from training situations or, you know, even in our personal relationships being kind of like estranged because we need to practice consent in a different way. Yeah. I think that's something definitely, I know I dealt with for sure, like in my working process of, yeah, just again, this rehearsal, this like demand, this physical demand of the body and emotional demand and, there being this request to be other than or more than human and otherworldly. And while in theory, <laughs> that sounds like, yeah, inspiring in this, the reality of it is that, yeah, we still are humans and I still have a choice and yeah, how far I need to go and I, I want to go on a daily basis. And in the studio, I don't know, it gets, those lines are just seem like they get blown away, really. Chanel, also, thank you you know, so much for writing and sharing that piece. It was beautiful. It was devastating. And I think the part that shook me the most was that my first thought was like, I know who that person is. Oh, actually it could be this person. Or you know what? And the line just continued on and on. And it's just a reflection of how these dance institutions do not take consent into their spectrum of teaching and learning and nurturing artists. Something I've just been thinking about with a group of dancers to try and really just create like a structural list for companies is the use of recording devices in every studio. And this would be ideally monitored by someone that is either like a chief diversity officer or equity officer or something that, you know, there's a lot of implementation that goes into this, but that it will be on 24 hours every time someone's in the studio. Also, anytime you have a meeting with your artistic director, or any superior, you're allowed to record or have a mediator present. And at first, you know, I was kind of turned off to the idea because I feel like it can encroach on, you know, the sovereignty and autonomy of the dancers. But I think that if it's only used in the right hands, that maybe it can be 
the body cam that we need in dance and something to really hold these people accountable because oftentimes you bring this to the board, you bring this to your artistic director and it's like, maybe you misread what happened to you or, you know, other people didn't see this happen to you. Maybe you've made it up. Maybe you're misconstruing the situation. And just to have this as evidence or also, you know, people act differently when they know that someone's watching them, that I don't know. And yeah, something to think about. I would love your feedback on this because now I'm kind of like, (laughs) I think this is it. I just want to offer something that I learned. This was not a dance-related incident. Um, This was another job, like after-school program thing. I realized another nonprofit, but I uh, had recorded a conversation with my employer when I knew something was like in the air. Um, And I mostly wanted it to like kind of affirm to myself and the, the close people who knew what was going on, like what was actually going on. And when I thought about what I have the legal ability to use it in case I need to take it to court in New York state, they allow for one party consent when it comes to recording conversations, which means that you could be the one person in the conversation that consents to the recording and anybody else that you're in this conversation with, you can use that in the court of law. So that gives everyone in the New York state the complete autonomy to record the conversations that they are present in. So in this way, you know, we don't have to wait for the institution to implement these practices, um, at least in New York State. I think everyone should check their, their local laws to affirm this, but in that way, we can just start doing it, you know what I mean? And encouraging other folks to do it too. It's just like, I, I kind of say, when you feel the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, I just, let me just go ahead and start recording. Like, I don't know where we're going, but let me just, let me just start. You don't know what's about to happen. But, you know, this, I think that's where we really need to listen to our guts too. We've amassed many human, elevated human, uh, embodied human powers as artists. And I think when they show up outside of the art making space, uh, we kind of doubt them. And I'm like, nah, that's the same one. (laughs) That's the same one. When you felt something was going on on stage left, you said, hold on, let me see. And you caught that person before they hit the ground. Like that's the same, that's the same sense in these rooms we can use them. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So I guess time, oh, time. Um, yeah, not in the effect that I know this can definitely keep going and going, um, but I'm thinking that we maybe have, if we have time to just do like a five minute thing, there's these things called hot takes. And it's kind of interesting because I feel like a lot that's been coming up also has to do with education, right? And like the youth and yeah, how, how can we start to implement this change or see that from the ground level of like how we're trained. So there are a few hot takes that I kind of mentioned that have to do with um, education and this idea of discipline and sort of wearing this badge of honor of like, oh, working so hard um, as a dancer. And this style or this round is more about putting it out there and then kind of just quickly just kind of airing our grievances of like, yes, I hate it when that happens or, oh no, I actually think this is beneficial for a trainer. Like, yeah. So if we could just take five to six minutes of me throwing some things out there and then people just kind of like initially reacting and riffing off of, and then we'll do a closing exercise as Jay Bowie. I know you said you like this, but yeah, just to end of sort of imagining what small actions can I take to help make the dance world a little bit better place, right? And just kind of going around and saying like, yeah, just small actionable things that maybe we can do. So, okay, here's one. So rigorous, conventional, pre-professional dance education as we know it. 
predisposes dancers to experience abusive relationships in and out of dance work later in their lives. Um, so yeah, just any like quick thoughts, hot takes. This is kind of like complaining hour <laughs> of like, yeah, just kind of getting it out there of what we don't like about this statement. Um, you know, it's so interesting with that because I have found, and I'm always shocked and shook when I'm in an intimate relationship, the areas that go wrong in the relationship is largely in part to the way that I've been treated in a studio. So I take that thing into my intimate relationships. And that thing I've been realizing is reoccurring that you are not valuable if such and such and such, or you need to, you know, kill yourself in order to, and I'm always surprised. It's like, just chill out, <laughs> like chill out. But there is this kind of, you know, you suffer for the art, you 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 kill yourself for the role, or you you know, or the the micro aggression from the 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 competition that gets bred in the studio from just you know trying to to achieve brilliance. And it's like, how how do you? How can we work with that in the studio? So I'm not saying we all have to sit by the fire and sing kumbaya. It's, you know, I think there's a, a level of like drive that, you know, you see your friend, you know, hitting that turn, landing it, whatever, whatever. And you're like, oh, I'm going to do that. But there's a difference to, and I've, and I've, I've also experienced this in, in the other worlds that I've, um, that I've had the, the privilege to operate in where it's like, I've, you kind of like drop a little or people drop a little like poison in the water and like just to see like who's going to actually like be able to handle the waters and who's going to be able to to um, swim and I'm like huh? like that makes no sense you know it's literally like passing a goblet of poison around at a banquet and like enjoying you know the fact that it, it turns into like a Russian roulette and people take that home with them you know, they take that home with them and they then impart that information onto their loved ones, you know, quite physically, you know. Um, and so I'm really curious about that. Like, what is that conversation? Like, how do we further it? How do we identify it when it's happening? Um, I think that is muddled with consent. Yeah, uh, I just want to say really quickly that that statement and remembering the last company I danced for in the audition process reminded me that like, oh, right, the whole story trajectory is the same story trajectory that happens with people who are abducted or happens when they are in Stockholm Central, happens when they're in cults, where there's this, like, you drop a little poison in the water to see who can hang, and you just feed them just a little bit more so they, like, build a natural tolerance to it. And then when you crack and show, like if that if that leader is cracking and shows like a little bit of humanity, it almost is like the same thing when the abductor brings the captive person up to watch a movie one time a year, like the kind of Stockholm syndrome that happens with survivors of those um, atrocities mimic the same kinds of conversations that we have as dancers when we leave companies. It's like this, I have a love Oddly, for this abusive place, I have a relationship that is almost like inherently trauma bond relationships with my cohort. And I'm talking about like, I know dancers who are like decades out of company atrocious uh, situations where they still are racking through it through therapy and through just talking about it and trying to make sense of it for them lives for their lives. So I hope that we can 
look at cult behavior and look at captive behavior and abductive behavior to understand more about what we're experiencing because it also gives us some information on how we can heal ourselves and support each other as we you know build a new world because we all will be even when the world comes crashing down today and it's a brand new environment the wounds and the scars that we have from the old life are still going to be here and they, and they need to be healed so i think we really need to look at that like head on and face on when we ask a question like that because i think that is the question is asking like is there a cult-like behavior that we experience in our community and i'm like yeah it is the one thing I would say is that literally all of my research is really kind of like, how can we reimagine something else that like goes away from this cult, like to something else that's much more generative for all of us who want to participate in, in this experience of, you know, dancing and embodiment together. Um, but y'all are fabulous. And I'm so excited to have participated and honored to have been in this conversation with you all. And I'm going to run to class. So thank, thank you. you so much, Aaliyah. Really. Thank you, Aaliyah. Thank it's you. Pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I think this is also a time where maybe we can all wrap up just for the last thing. And then we'll just come back stating a desire that you'd like to see in the future dance landscape. And so, yeah, but making a concrete statement of I want dot, dot, dot. And then let's also do I will. So to, to say one small thing that you will do in a daily practice or your work or life to help realize one of the things that either you said or even that you heard. Okay, so I will just start. Um, I want to see more things happening like this. I want people to feel more comfortable speaking up for themselves, um, whether that is, yeah, in the company or when you're working for yourself as a freelancer, any type of working relationship. I want to see more boundaries in place and for it to just be a part of, of the process, to be hearing criticism and dialogue on a, on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis. Mm. This is something that, yeah, Jay, you brought up and I'm like, I should be doing this. I'm teaching privateer more and I'm very like manipulating people and I don't ask for their consent. And so I will do that. I will ask, is this okay if I, if I touch you here, if I, yeah. And thank you for that. So I, I will be doing that moving forward hundred um, percent. I um, thank you, Courtney. I want to see institutions and those who are directors of these institutions allow the body of the institution, the time and space to heal and recover, which will then allow the bodies operating and functioning within these institutions, the time and space to recover. I want to also see directors allow themselves the time and space that they need to recover. And if that means that you need to cancel a season, you need to cancel a performance, you need to have a chat, which means that the chat is going to take the amount of time that it's going to take, which means that if you need to pause the rehearsal period or whatever, that that time and space is allowed, period. Because if, I'm sorry, any of these athletes, any of these musicians, any of these people that are consumed in the ways that they are, if they have a vocal issue, if they have an issue with the body, they are allowed to cancel the tour. They are allowed to cancel the sporting events. I do not think that as dancers or performers, we should be excluded from that. And I will continue to work in the ways that I do. 
um, and allowing myself that time and space to be honest and to make mistakes and to uh, learn from the mistakes and be as vocal as I possibly can with myself and those who are willing to listen and those platforms that are willing to facilitate my voice in conversation with other voices. So thank you, Courtney, for being one of those. And thank you guys for being voices and ears and just absolute beauty, <laughs> really. Thank you. Um, thank you for that, MJ and Courtney, thank you. I want the dance community to truly acknowledge where we are and how we got here. And I also want the dance community to move forward in action to start the process of change. Acknowledge and action. I want that for the dance community. And Aaliyah said something really beautiful about asking for consent is an ongoing and reaffirming practice that really resonated with me. So I will make a part of my practice as an artist, educator, choreographer, director, to make asking for consent an ongoing and reaffirming practice for myself and for my colleagues. Ashe, thank you, Chanel. Thank you, MJ. Thank you, Courtney. There are so many things to hold on to and to take away, but what's bolded in my notes are allow your body to become soft, something that MJ heard Courtney say. That's a mantra for me now. Um, and invite, and I'm asking myself now to invite folks as an artist to an era of life when thinking about collaborators, where we are making, exploring, and co-creating with the option to leave always open and highlighted with love and compassion, as Chanel has said. Yay. That was beautiful to end on. Thank you guys so much. I, yeah, I'm seriously inspired by every single person that was in this talk and by, yeah, your walk in the dance world. I'm glad that we could co-create this and again, carve out the time and the space to, to dig deep into, give each other permission to air our grievances and um, to share. And I hope you guys have a beautiful, gorgeous rest of your day. And yay. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, I shake it out. I feel good on my spine. I go a little hula. Right? Yes. Open up that heart chakra, okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Thank uh, you so much, everyone. Vulnerable Resilience was partially sponsored by OK Let's Unpack This, a nonprofit dedicated to destigmatizing the conversations around mental health, created in part through Gibney Company's Advocacy Fellowship Program. For more information about the free resources provided, such as community support groups, free individual one-on-one -on -one therapy, and to join the conversation on dancer mental health, 
visit okokok.org or find us on Instagram at okletsunpackthis. A special shout out to our sponsor, M Seam Apparel, for supporting the first person stories of dancers in every issue of our magazine. Their handmade dancewear can be found on Etsy and on Instagram at M S E A M A P P A R E L. Taylor? Hi, I'm here. Hi, I'm speaking with Taylor Unwin, movement artist and body worker. And I'm talking to Laura Wilson, a choreographer and art director at DIY Dancer. This is Boundaries Practice. Two years ago, we were deep in process for a work that was all about personal boundaries. But after we premiered it, we realized that we wanted a space to continue to share all of the tiny realizations and revelations that made the work so impactful for us. Boundaries practice starts with just noticing boundaries. Anyone can do it on their own. But what we've learned through self-teaching and reflection, discussion, and art making is that drawing flexible lines around ourselves can not only protect us or help us heal from trauma, it also helps us gain real power over our lives in ways material, spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical. I think it responds to and in some ways repairs the unique set of conditions we've grown up in as women or non-binary people and as dancers. For me, it's been a mindset that I think has really fueled my progress as a person and as an artist over the past few years. I agree. So far, Boundaries Practice has taken shape as a WhatsApp group, a monthly newsletter, a workshop, a warm-up and a clubhouse chat and stretch session on a weekly theme. Yeah, I mean, we're not really sure what it is, which is kind of ironic, given that boundaries add definition to things, contain things. But I think that's okay. Yeah, I think so too. Should we do a stretch? Sure. To start the stretch, we're going to warm up the spine by going down on the floor on all fours. You can start rotating the shoulders, allowing the chest to fall to the floor and come back up. Notice your breathing here. Find a natural rhythm with your movement. And continue in one direction for a few more rounds. And take a nice deep breath and switch directions. Warming up the spine and the muscles around the spine, loosening up the shoulders. Take a nice deep breath and find a neutral spine and slowly get up off the floor. Find a doorframe or a wall and put your hand on the doorframe or wall at, with your arm at a 90 degree angle from your shoulder. Turn away from the arm to stretch the pec and the shoulder. Take nice deep breaths here a little further and come back to neutral 
And we'll do three to five reps with this arm. You can inch the hand up a couple inches higher on the wall or door frame and open the chest, rotating the body away from the hand, stretching the shoulder, letting the pec relax, and back to neutral. And we'll repeat this one more time. Hand a little higher. You can push into the wall or you can pull, creating a little bit of torque for the muscles. See what feels good and what can help you release. I know I've been on the computer a lot this year and this stretch has been a lifesaver for me. And then go ahead and repeat the same thing you did on the other side. Thanks, Taylor. That felt really good. So for anyone who's interested to learn more about this body of work and join the conversation, you can follow Boundaries Practice on Clubhouse or read my newsletter via my website, lara, L-A-R-A-W-L-S-N dot com slash boundaries. You can also get in touch via the contact page to be added to our WhatsApp group. Anything else? Nope. I think that's it. I mean, I'm just really grateful for this space. We'd love to have you if you feel curious about this. It's really made an impact on how I move through the world. I'm glad. Me too. Marissa Martin. I'm a dancer and yoga teacher based in New York City, and I concentrate especially on teaching yoga to dancers. Something I love so much about the yoga practice is that it provides us with an opportunity to explore the depths of our humanity. And that's something that as dancers, we're often encouraged to defy and even deny. We're often asked to ignore signals of pain, and to leave our emotions and our experiences outside of the studio. In that, we underestimate the value that being in touch with our humanity gives to our own artistry, and even more importantly, the importance of having an identity outside of being a dancer, and how vital that is to our mental health. I find that in calming our nervous systems and practicing mindfulness, we can become still enough to listen inwards, to cultivate compassion for ourselves, and to care for our total selves in ways that are not often cultivated in our rigorous dance world. I wanted to share one of these practices with you today, so we're going to take a short breathing break together. You can do this either sitting upright or lying down on your back, whatever feels most comfortable for you. When you're set up, you can place your hands either on your thighs or maybe you choose to take one to your belly and one to your heart. Either soften or close your eyes completely. Take a moment here to let things slow down. 
And to let your awareness meet you in this moment. Notice the sensations throughout your physical body. And without judging them, without deciding that they're good or that they're bad, simply notice. Soften any expression you're holding on your face. And grip your jaw. Relax your shoulders, your hips. Begin to notice your breath and let it welcome you into the inner layers of yourself. Let it welcome you to yourself in this moment. You can notice if any thoughts or emotions are standing out in particular. And again, without judging, without deciding you want to grasp onto them or push them away, simply observe what is. Feel as though all of this space that exists within you could expand with every breath in as it fills you up. And soften with each exhale as you empty out. Next time you inhale, let it come in a little bit fuller and a little bit deeper. Open the mouth, take a big sigh out with sound. Now we'll inhale in three parts. So inhale, just fill up your low belly and pause. Inhale, fill up your middle abdomen, pause. And inhale to fill up completely. Pause. Now one long, smooth, slow exhale. And try to make it longer than the sum of your inhales. Again, just like that. Inhale, fill your low belly. And pause. Inhale, fill your middle belly. Pause. Inhale to the top. One smooth, slow exhale to empty, empty, empty. Again, inhale, fill your low belly and pause. Inhale, fill up a little bit more. Pause. Inhale to fold. One smooth, slow exhale, empty, empty, empty. One more. Inhale, fill your low belly and pause. Fill up a little bit more. Pause. Inhale to the top. One smooth, slow exhale to empty, empty, empty. Now take a smooth breath in through your nose. And again, open the mouth, let it all go, release. 
as you stay in this quiet place, I invite you to call to mind one thing you're grateful for right now. And experience what gratitude feels like inside of you. Breathe with it. This feeling is yours to take with you into the rest of your day. If you'd like, you can take a small bow of your head, a gesture of surrendering your mind to the wisdom of your heart. When you're ready, gently open up the eyes. I thank you so much for joining me for this breathing practice, and I hope you take good care of yourself. I'd like to share some essential mental health resources that are available 24-7 for anyone across the country who might be in need of support. We'll also have these links in our episode notes. For Crisis Text Line, text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. Or you can also call the National Helpline at 1-800-662-4357. I zoom out to see myself. Thank you, Leo, for that. And really, thanks to all the contributors sharing in this chapter. Aaliyah Baker, Jay Bowie, Chanel De Silva, Michael John Harper, Gabrielle Salvato, Marissa Martin, Laura Wilson, and Taylor Unwin. Our sound score was created by Morgan Bobrow Williams. And this episode's sound mixing was done by Stephanie Wolf producer of DIY Dancer's Unsequenced podcast. Our cover art was created by Tess Jenkins with creative direction and graphic design from Laura Wilson and Celine Kiner. Vulnerable Resilience is produced by DIY Dancer with editorial direction by Candace Thompson in partnership with OK Let's Unpack This, a nonprofit dedicated to destigmatizing the conversation around dancer mental health, created in part through Gibney Company's Advocacy Fellowship Program. A huge shout out to our Patreon community for their ongoing support and the entire DIY dancer team for coming together to give space for artists to share and commune around so broadly considered mental health. A huge thanks to everyone who has contributed in this issue for your vulnerability is beautiful and necessary for us to continue to shift the dancer narrative. It has been an absolute honor to work with you, Leal, and this beautiful body of work. It was truly a labor of love, and we're thrilled to share it with you all. Zoom out. Zoom out. Zoom out. Under the sun, I, I, Zoom out. I, in the sun, I see. Zoom out. Sun, I see under the sun, in the sun, under the sun, I, 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 I see, see, see under the 
sun under a microscope, under a microscope, under a microscope. I see, 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 me under a microscope. I see, 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 see,